0: Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to Cryptique, where we discuss all things paranormal, occult, UFOs, metaphysical, hidden history, forbidden archaeology, and all things truther. I am joined, as always, by my boy, Ryan. What's up?
1: Must be good climate where you're at. You did all that in one breath. Impressive.
0: It's nice. (laughs) All I have is a candle burning off to the side here, but, you know, that keeps me connected to the spirit world, Ryan. You know Uh, that.
1: Yeah, of course. When I was, uh, I I knew so many people who thought that candles, if somebody had candles or kind of anything from like a, from like a Spencer's or whatever, that they were trying to do magic because of the Harry Potter books in like the early nineties,
0: are you trying to
1: summon something? You got candles in your room. Yeah. What are you talking about?
0: I see that on podcasts too, where they're like, well, this kid wore black to school. You should check him out The cops are like Okay we'll check him out I'm like What? Did I miss yeah. something? I go back and re- Oh no it's Because he's wearing black oh. Okay <laughs>
1: Yeah judge a book by its cover
0: Alright exactly. right. You want to tell them What they need to know then?
1: Yeah I'm just a little Thrown off by not having The usual jokes Sorry We do want to plead with you To Interact with the show On whatever your platform is like, subscribe, comment, all those things help us with the algorithms. The best thing you can do is always is to share with somebody you know, and somebody who you think will like it. It is honestly the best way for it to spread. We've seen a lot of uh really viral stuff in the last year or so. Things that got really popular that maybe shouldn't have, like sound Sound of Freedom, I think. Mm-hmm. Small budget movie that got huge, Godzilla Minus One, you know, small budget thing not really advertised got a huge. We want to be the next thing. Critique. Please. Yeah. Didn't advertise a whole lot. Got huge by word of mouth. But if you want to reach out to us and tell us how ridiculous that is or recommend something to us by word of mouth, you can do that at CryptiquePodcast at gmail.com. You can check out what we're selling at CryptiquePodcastStore.com. And you can always find our socials and the links in the show notes, or at least account names and how to get there, depending on what our platforms let us post. I'm right. sure not all of them want you linking out.
0: Sure. And did you mention buy me a coffee? No, I didn't. I'm so thirsty. <laughs> ah, I can hardly talk. Well, actually, they probably like that. You can buy us a coffee at <laughs> buymeacoffee.com forward slash cryptic because we need to keep the energy up, the mics on, and mm-hmm. we got huge electric bills to pay obviously. Tonight, Cryptique is proud to present Steve Gorham on the coming renewable energy failure in his new book, Green Breakdown. Steve Gorham, an engaging and experienced speaker with a background as an independent scholar, researcher, and former engineer and business executive, and offers compelling programs on energy and environmental policy. With 30 years of Fortune 100 and private company experience, he serves as the executive director of the Climate, science coalition of america the executive director of the climate science coalition of america he's no joke right yeah. and he's also a policy advisor to the heartland institute he has agreed to come on and slum it with us tonight uh, he's the author of four books and a frequent guest on radio and tv he provides a fresh perspective on environmental economic energy, climate, and public policy topics presenting in a down-to-earth style with humor and stories that appeal to a broad audience. And we are so happy to have him on the show tonight. We are going to talk about climatism and he's going to tell us all about it. All right, so let's see. Well, welcome to the show, Steve. I'm Jay. Uh, You see Ryan on the screen there too thanks so much for joining us tonight how are you doing
2: Ryan great I'm doing well happy new year
0: it's it's great to have you on man I've been listening to you are quite the prolific podcaster I mean there's a thousand of them out there and and the information is just so important that people have no idea what's going on they just buy into oh yeah it's getting hotter it's my fault and I'm terrible. (laughs) I think it, it has a psychological effect on people that they think that they're destroying the earth.
2: Well, it it certainly does. And there's, you know, if you read an article on climate today, most likely it's wrong in many ways. So Uh, You're right. There's a there's a lot of uh, misinformation out there.
0: Absolutely. Um, So before we get started, can you just give us a little background on yourself, your books and kind of what got you into the topic? So,
2: yeah, I was in the electronics industry for about 30 or 35 years, worked at uh, Motorola for quite a while, out of work business executive about 2008, didn't want to move out of the Chicago area um, Mm -hmm. and said, well, you know, you can research, you can write um i wasn't really sure of the topic but i read all of al gore's books decided they probably weren't correct started writing on climate change and then since then i've written four books and i've become a professional speaker uh, yeah. i speak to uh, all sorts of different industry mostly transportation uh, agriculture energy uh, metals all sorts of folks about energy and about climate and then uh, recently wrote my fourth book, Green Breakdown: The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. That was out August first. And since then, as as you know, I've been doing a lot of radio and a lot of uh, a lot of video.
0: Absolutely, the facts are so simple, but they're so convoluted from what we see from the media that it's really nice to see a simple breakdown that everybody can understand. And and you do that, so we really appreciate that you gave us some stuff that you wanted to get into and then we've got some questions of our own towards the end. But uh, so the United Nations Climate Conference, COP28 was completed in Dubai and that's in the United Arab Emirates. That's er- in early December. Yeah, uh, They're, they're doing okay there, right? Like there's not a whole lot of people suffering for money in Dubai. <laughs> not really. It's
2: uh... It is the United Nations annual event, the COP. It's, it's the Conference of the Parties. It's the 28th one of these they have. They have one basically every year. And mm-hmm. they get delegates together from all over the world. Uh, they've been doing this since about 1995. This year we had uh, uh, King Charles the third was there, uh, billionaire Bill Gates, a U.S. Climate Envoy John Kerry. We had uh, our Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, many states have sent folks from universities and there were about 80,000 people that came and, and just about nobody lives in uh, Dubai. So they all flew right. in on, on private and uh, commercial jets. And the interesting thing is if if you fly on an aircraft and you burn jet fuel, which they all do, for every pound of jet fuel that you burn, you emit about three pounds of carbon dioxide. And so, literally, this was the biggest, this climate conference was the biggest carbon dioxide emitting vent of the year. <laughs> yeah, a little bit <laughs> in, ironic. In Dubai. Yeah. A little bit, little bit ironic there.
0: Oh, man, you can't make that up. That's just too good. <laughs> well, we do, at least we know that, you know, Greta Thunberg is, uh, you know, traveling the world in her yacht. Maybe we should just all use our yachts. Is, is that the problem? Well, We're not was- all using our yachts?
2: She often refuses to fly. You're referring to the, the young woman from uh, Sweden, I believe it is, who often refuses mm-hmm. to fly and takes a boat to get somewhere over the yeah. ocean, which takes a couple of weeks usually. It's very slow. But unfortunately, she's been uh, uh, misled by this whole idea I call climatism. Mm-hmm. Climatism is is the belief that humans are causing dangerous global warming. We do, we do have a couple presidential candidates now using that term. It was in my first two books. Mm -hmm. Uh, My first book, Climatism. My second, The Mad, Mad, Mad World of Climatism. Uh, But uh, both uh, Mr. Ramaswamy and uh, former President Trump are now using the term. And it is a powerful ideology. It's captured most of the leaders of the world. My opinions are minority opinions. uh, The world is spending about a trillion dollars a year now on renewable energy to try and stop the planet from warming. But when you really get down and you look at the science, uh, you realize that. earth earth's climate continues to be dominated by natural factors what's going on in the solar system the oceans the land uh the atmosphere and not by uh your neighbor's suv or power plants
0: there's this huge push for evs and i one of my favorite things i like to joke with ryan about is i see these take my dog for a walk and he just ruins the environment when he poops (laughs) but um I love seeing, I I walk past these houses, they've got two Teslas in their driveway and they have these little signs that say, oh, this, you know, don't let your dog walk on my grass because it's got pesticide and fertilizer all over it and it could be harmful. And I'm like, well, there you go. You're saving the world. You got an EV, you're poisoning the water table, but hey, at least you're not putting out any uh, carbon emissions. So, right. but that's not the case. Tell us about how these these EVs are like manipulated to make it seem like they're saving the world, but they're not.
2: Yeah, there's pretty big misconception about electric vehicles. Uh, They don't put out a lot of carbon dioxide emissions, probably about half over a long lifetime. Although the world's EVs right now probably put out more carbon dioxide than uh, internal combustion engines. And the reason is when they are first made to make the batteries takes an awful lot of energy and it, it's not until about 100,000 miles of driving that, that uh, an electric vehicle breaks even on carbon dioxide emissions. And most of the EV fleets are young, so they're still putting out a lot more carbon dioxide than they're able to make up from driving. But, you know, the sad thing is that a lot of people believe that they are helping the environment by driving electric vehicles. But there are other issues with electric vehicles. And, and the first thing is the amount of metals that go into them. According to the International Energy Agency, an electric vehicle has about six times the special metals of a gasoline car. And that's graphite and copper and nickel and manganese, cobalt, lithium. And those have to come from mines, of course. And if you if you look back on the trail of the mining, you find things that are, are really not very, very good. An example is uh, cobalt. Uh, uh, the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo produces about thirty-five percent of the world's cobalt and uh, cobalt ore I should say. And it's mm-hmm. well known that in, in the DRC they're using child labor and forced labor to get this ore yes. out of the hills. And so there's big social impacts there. And then the ore is shipped to China. China most of it. China is the largest refiner of metals in the world. And in China, there are vast areas of land that have been polluted by their metal industry. There's a place called Rare Earth Lake, where literally, as far Mm. as you can see in all direction, the land has been destroyed by uh, iron waste from from producing metals. Mm -hmm. Then those metals go into batteries that come to the United States so that people can buy their Teslas. And they say, wow, I'm driving an environmentally friendly car. But they they don't see all the, the mining damage and the social damage that's occurring all over the world. Um every energy system has disadvantages uh sure. but it, but it's not clear that EVs really are helping the planet as as people think.
0: Well, is the goal to get to zero emissions because I I do believe that most of the people now Tesla's might be fun and cool or whatever but you know if you're buying an EV to save the environment do people even look into how that came to be? How, you know, you have to run, I was looking for, uh, I had a slide on my phone where it's something like a, a Caterpillar has to run for like 200 hours to like pull X amount of lithium out of the ground and they run on diesel fuel and people don't, they don't look at any of the background. It's just, oh, look at me, I'm so virtuous, I'm saving the environment. But there's a, a the, the problem is getting them to market. It's not afterward. Well, it is afterwards when you think about our electricity being powered by coal, so. Well, it is,
2: it is. Yeah, the, uh, the whole idea of, of getting to zero emissions, and by the way, that's, uh, that's what my book, Green Breakdown is about. Uh, today, the, the wealthy part of the world, the wealthy nations, United States, Europe, Canada, uh, New Zealand, Australia, and a few others are driving toward a thing called net zero. And, the, and they want to do that by 2050. And the idea is to to completely get rid of all carbon dioxide emissions or capture whatever uh, they can't do. And to do that, they want to get rid of coal, oil, and natural gas. But this is really an impossible uh, dream. This is beyond a, a reach-out goal. It's not going to happen. Things are going to break down. Just to give you an example. If you build any kind of a building and you put steel into it and you put glass into it and you put copper for pipes and you put ceramic and you put concrete into it, all of those things emit carbon dioxide when they are produced and when they are transported to the building site, you can't even build a grass hut without emitting carbon dioxide. If you cut cut down the grass and you cut down the wood and you build a grass hut, you emit carbon dioxide, so there's really nothing in this world that is is net zero of, of any reasonable size. Uh nevertheless the world is marching toward this this crazy goal. Uh one example is is what uh, uh John Kerry was talking about in in early December he called for a ban on all coal-fired power plants around the world. Well, the, you know, you look at that and you go, is that really make any kind of sense? <laughs> there, there are about 6,500 coal-fired power plants around the world and there's another thousand that are in planning or are being constructed and they provide 35% of the world's electricity. But we have a big electricity shortage globally. There are 700 million people without access to electricity. And there are literally hundreds of hospitals that don't have electricity, if you can imagine that. Nothing for air conditioning, mm. nothing for operating rooms. And then there's another 2 billion people that have blackouts or brownouts every day or every other day. We have a mm. tremendous shortage of electricity. But for for uh, Climate Envoy Kerry to say, get rid of all your coal plants, that's a little like uh, Marie Antoinette saying, let, let the poor people eat cake. I mean it has no regard for the people around the world that are trying right. to build their societies and need electricity. Mm-hmm. So so this is this is kind of what the wealthy wealthy nations are pursuing but it doesn't make a lot of economic sense.
0: It it doesn't make any sense because I I mean you've illustrated uh on one of the slides like how we've had kind of a gentle warming for like the past 45 years but it's not it, they want you to believe that you know, if we don't all drive electric vehicles, the whole world's going to be underwater in ten years, and it's not the case. And you know, the all these forests and stuff that give us all this oxygen, they need that carbon. You know, they need those carbon emissions to produce the oxygen that we breathe. So that could be a problem.
2: We do. It's an amazing system. Uh, uh, an advisor mine by the name of Will Happer, a uh, uh, atmospheric scientist from Princeton University. Says we're really at a low point of atmospheric carbon dioxide right now, about 420 parts per per million. That's about four molecules in every 10,000 in the atmosphere. Uh, that's been uh, uh, thousands, uh, uh, you know, seven or eight times as high in the past. And if plants get down to a, a two, about 200 or 250 uh, parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, they literally can't grow uh and we do have a great situation right now uh this carbon dioxide going in the atmosphere is helping the world green uh mm-hmm. helping the the plants grow by the way i i love to ask a question when i speak to groups i say what do cannabis growers know that uh that the epa apparently doesn't know
0: uh that one i don't know
2: and and the answer is that carbon dioxide is plant food Any marijuana grower worth his or her salt is literally pumping carbon dioxide into their greenhouse to make their crop grow bigger and faster. And if you look at uh, uh, the top 95 food crops, I'm sorry, the top 45 food crops of the world that provide 95% of our food, every one of those grows bigger and faster with higher levels of atmospheric carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Each one of us exhales about two pounds of carbon dioxide every single day. So calling it a pollutant is a, a really kind of a, a faulty uh, uh, idea.
0: Are they gonna tell us to start holding our breath and don't exercise <laughs> or anything like that so you don't get your, uh, your, your uh, lungs pumping so much?
2: Well, it's kind of funny, if you're, in a, if you're in a conference room and the doors are closed, you know, you got a number of people in there, uh, you can get up to 800 or 900 uh, parts per million carbon dioxide, you double what's in the normal atmosphere. And I think the uh, the astronauts and, and the Navy submarines have a limit of about 7,000 car, uh, parts per million carbon dioxide, 15 or 20 times as high before it becomes really a health issue. So we shouldn't be calling it a pollutant. It's, it's uh, a great part of nature. It's literally the best compound we can put into the biosphere is carbon dioxide. Yet today we have every university, every company counting their carbon dioxide footprint. Very, very foolish
0: do you think that these people that you know we hold in such esteem these people that so many depend on to make these huge life affecting decisions do they believe this or is this just a a sneaky way for them to control or get more money or uh, because I, i just don't understand how someone can can look at like the slides read your book or or listen to you and and still think that we've got to get to net zero i mean what is their end game
2: well it is it is remarkable i like to say we're in the biggest superstition in modern history but i think most people believe this Uh, i think al gore for example he's been an environmentalist since the 1970s Mm -hmm. um i don't know what's in a person's heart but i think most folks believe this stuff but nevertheless People can use climatism and the fear of man-made warming to get all kinds of policies across. Uh, We have wind, solar, and biofuels industries. We have roughly 25 or 30 computer modeling teams that do climate models, and they cost about $50 million to set up on a supercomputer and then $20 million a year to run. And if they put up their hand and say, well, I think climate is natural, then they're probably not gonna get any funding anymore. Uh, yeah. We have deans of sustainability at, at universities. We have vice presidents of sustainability at at companies. And so there's tremendous momentum behind uh, climatism and the fear of man-made warming. Uh, news media loves it. You know, they can create yeah. all kinds of headlines about it's the hottest day ever or we had the, this last summer. Fortune had a headline. July could be the hottest month in 120,000 years. <laughs> and, then, and then the United Nations said, the era, era of global boiling has arrived. But those are flat out, flat out wrong and they weren't really challenged in many ways. If you look back in history, we've had about one degree of, of warming since 1880, one degree Celsius, about two degrees Fahrenheit. We get that every morning between nine and 10 a.m. Uh, but that's really not much of a rise compared to history. Uh, that's uh, by the way, the 140 years is about as long as we've had thermometers, right? uh, Scientists can use other chemical reactions called proxies to go back farther. And what you find is that it was warmer a thousand years ago. The Vikings settled southwest Greenland, and on that site, there were trees that were 20 feet high. Today, there's nothing but scrub grasses. Uh, the Romans conquered the Mediterranean. Uh, 2,000 years ago, and at that time they were growing olives in Germany because it was warmer. They were growing wine uh, grapes for wine in England. Sure. And I, I love to mention the example of the, uh, uh, the uh, Rhone Glacier, if any of your listeners have been to Switzerland. There's a big uh, glacier between mountains wall to wall called the Rhone Glacier in central Switzerland, and the Rhone River flows out of it uh, mm-hmm. uh, west into France and down into the Mediterranean. But that, glacier's, that glacier has been receding for more than a century. It's pulling back as we've had a gentle warming. Mm-hmm. But when, every time it pulls back, they find interesting things under it like uh, horse, horse bridles and they find wagon wheels and they find wood that was 4,000 years old. And uh, one scientist, Dr. Christian Schluter, has pointed out that uh, for most of the last 10,000 years, this glacier was not here. Uh, there was no ice in this valley. And so we've had many, many times when it's naturally warmer than today. Nevertheless, the news media rings with all sorts of alarm that, that we're causing this danger and, and that people are dying.
0: Yeah, and, and I've shown people. I, I work with some people that are very into this, and uh, I've I've shown them just a picture of the sun where it has like a solar storm, right? And it's increasing i mean it's basically like an explosion that goes out and i'm like don't you guys think this could have something to do with it too because if the sun is is you know getting hotter at this point at this stage and making the earth hotter that seems like something that would make more sense than just oh no it's just us putting pollutants in the air. find out more after a quick break Welcome back, Grip Keepers.
2: Well, it is, and there's there's a number of scientists that think that the sun is affecting that. Um, uh, There's actually a thing called the solar wind, which comes out from the sun continuously. And when we have more sunspots or we have uh, things erupt on the sun, the solar wind gets stronger. But it's a bunch of uh, subatomic particles that come out like a wind, and it tends to... uh, uh, for one thing, it, it causes the aurora borealis in our atmosphere. That's when these particles come into the atmosphere and you see that near the poles, but it tends to affect um, the uh, ions that are that are coming from deep space, uh, the subatomic particles. And this affects our cloud cover. And I, I talk about the theories in my okay. first two books, climatism and the mad, mad, mad world of climatism. But there's a lot of evidence to show that uh, what the sun is doing in this regard is affecting our our cloud cover and therefore the amount of solar energy we get and therefore the temperature on the Earth. So again, that's just another example of 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 where nature is very powerful, uh, much bigger than uh, than what a solar system a, a a solar farm is going to do. Yeah.
0: and I think that, and I thought this too. I was guilty of this before I started. You know, listening to you, that. Maybe if we can find a way to increase solar power, um, bigger fields, but it's it's just going to take so much land yes. that it, it doesn't make sense. And windmills. And then I heard that there's windmills that literally don't break even from what what it takes to put them up. They they don't even break even by the time they're done and ready to be dismantled and buried in the earth. So, it's it's not something that we can fix with windmills and and solar panels, is it?
2: That may be the case with windmills. I don't know the data on that. I do know that that solar, uh, if you're in the northern latitudes and and the the break-even point is about uh, about um, the uh, Virginia North Carolina border, something like. The thirtieth, thirtieth uh, uh, latitude, uh, but above that, it takes more energy to produce the solar system, the solar uh, uh, installation, and to set it up. Then you, then you get back over the life of the solar system. I, if if any of your uh, listeners want to send me an email, I can send them the paper. A guy did a study in Switzerland and uh, Germany, which are higher latitudes, and they've got all these solar systems. And he said, well those things only return about uh, 80% of the energy that it took uh, to to put up over the lifetime of it. So it is kind of crazy. You know, if you're in Hawaii or if you're in the the Deep South, uh, solar can be effective, uh, except when the clouds pass over, of course. (laughs) But the idea that we can run our society on wind and solar doesn't make a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, it's always seemed like it would be unsustainable to have so much land dedicated to it
2: yeah that's uh, and again, another question I ask audiences i say uh uh you know, so consider two systems: one system uh, produces one unit of electricity on one unit of land, and another system produces one unit of electricity on a hundred units of land, which is more environmentally friendly <laughs> yeah and, and yeah it seems it seems obvious but but the ones that 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 produce one unit of electricity for one unit of land. Are uh, nuclear and uh, natural gas and coal, and solar requires a hundred times the land. Wind something like thirty-five to eight hundred times the land. Uh, if you count, wow. if you count only the towers and the concrete pads and the roads, it's about thirty-five times as much land. If you count the whole area, it's eight hundred. Uh, biofuels also are, are like wow. fifteen hundred times the land. So, uh, and th- and that's part of the reason why. Uh, In trying to convert to wind and solar, a lot of these areas are running into problems now. They're getting a lot of opposition from local people Mm -hmm. because you have to take all this farmland out of use or or other uh, sort of things. And In Scotland, they've cut down about 10 million trees over the last two decades to try and put up all these wind turbines, and that doesn't seem to make (laughs) much environmental sense. Yeah. In
1: Chicago, in particular, when you start heading west out of the city, there are tons of Windmills all over the place, west and southwest of Chicago. Yeah, southwest. And it's, it's, it just seems impractical because I was driving for maybe an hour in that area and there were just windmills everywhere. And I kept wondering, like, how difficult is it to logistically work out where to put them, how to connect them? Like, how could it be worth it? When you yeah. head south to Springfield, do you see the nuclear power plant and no windmills, no, very little solar because the power is so cheap and efficiently produced.
2: That is an advantage for Illinois. We do have nuclear. But so so for for wind and solar, the first problem is the land area. The second problem is the cost. And the headlines ring with all this stuff saying wind and solar is cheaper and they might be on a on a per unit basis. But if you look at anywhere they've been deployed and I like to show a map of of uh, not a map, but a, a chart about Europe. Where I plot on one axis the wind and solar capacity of a nation uh, watts per person, and then on the horizontal axis the electricity prices uh, Now, if wind and solar were the cheapest, the nations that would that deployed the most wind and solar, the most wind and solar, should have the lowest electricity prices. But you yes. find it's exactly the opposite. Uh, we have nations like Ireland where the price is twice as high as the United States. And then Denmark and Germany are way up there at more than three times the United States price. They are the, the biggest users of, of uh, wind and solar in the world right now, at least wind. And, so, and, then, and the reasons are that you have, to, uh, you have to run a lot of transmission out to remote areas. And then you have to back them up with systems for when the wind doesn't blow and, and the sun doesn't shine. And that is the third, <laughs> the third big problem with the renewables is the intermittency. Right. Let me read you a quote from a guy, if I might. Uh, You want to ask your question first? Oh, no, go ahead. So uh, in June of of this year, uh, Mark Christie testified in front of the Senate. Mark is a federal energy regulatory uh, commission commissioner. And he said, quote, I think we're headed for dire consequences, potentially catastrophic consequences in the United States in terms of the reliability of our grid. And he went on to explain that we're closing coal and natural gas plants, and in some cases nuclear plants too fast. And these are the things that keep the lights on. And uh, we've had some big incidents. We have a bla- we had a blackout in Texas, uh, February of 2021, and the the power was off for uh, 70 72 hours, three days, to five million people. And between 200 and 700 people died, those are the estimates. That's bigger than a major hurricane. Mm -hmm. And in part, that's because uh, Texas has closed a lot of coal plants and has pushed for renewables. Data from the Energy Information Administration also shows that the average outage for an electricity user is increasing. Uh, They've been tracking these figures for a while. Back in 2013, 2014, the average cumulative outage, not individual, but for a whole year uh, for, a, for a user was about three and a half hours. Now that's running about uh, six, seven or eight hours a year. So it's more than doubled. And as we as we close coal and, and gas plants and put in more wind and solar, we're going to have more and more outages.
0: Well, and then, yeah, like you said, we have to have the coal and nuclear and natural gas because, what happens if the wind stops blowing and the sun doesn't shine for a few days? You got people in hospitals that, where the generators run out, and then what happens? Then we lose lives, we lose people, and I can't imagine that it's cheaper to keep the uh, like the coal and natural gas and nuclear kind of ready to go in the background just in case right. it fails
2: that well well that's what helps boost the cost as well. So if you're a utility manager, you know that when you add wind and solar, you can only count on about 10% of of what, of the capacity that you add uh as an adder to system capacity. So that means if you want to do high wind and solar penetration, you have to keep about 90% of the traditional power plants around and you have to keep have to keep them ready to be turned on. And so you're, you're doubling your capacity, and it's very, very expensive. And and an example is, another example is, I have another chart. I don't think I sent you guys, but uh, I plot uh, the top 12 wind states in the United States and look at their electricity price increases over the last 14 years. Now, the national average has gone up about 28% since 2008. But in eight of the 12 wind states, their rates are up much higher than the average. Uh, California is the highest. It's it's up more than 50%. But And that is the reason, uh, because they have to build transmission out to these sites uh, in long distances, because they have to keep uh, backup of traditional plant, power plants. So, so the evidence shows that wind and solar are not uh, less expensive. And the more we put in, the more people are going to have to pay uh, higher prices.
0: Is it going to get to a point where they're just like, yeah. Heating your, ha- or, you know, your electricity bill is going to be $3,000 a month, or you can just not have electricity. <laughs> it's up to you. Because, I mean, it seems like, you know, if it keeps going up and keeps going up and keeps going up, we're going to have to, you know, right now, whatever percentage of our salary goes to electricity, we're not going to be able to afford it. Yeah. And it really impacts the poor. Uh, Northern yeah.
2: California, I was just reading the article, they're going to have $300 a month electric bills uh in the the pacific gas and electric uh region uh they, they keep getting price increases california is now uh over the last three years passed up all of new england to become the second highest electricity price state in the nation behind hawaii and hmm. their, their prices are double what they are in in any other western state and they're going to go much much higher because they continue to try and Put in big batteries and wind and solar, and it's just going to get very, very expensive.
0: Now, you had told, um, I can't remember where I, where I heard it, but how California is in, in, I'm not sure if it's this January that you were talking about, where everything that gets picked up by, I guess, a, a semi, well, not a diesel anymore, um, they have to be on an electric truck. Is, is that this year? that everything has to be picked yes. up on an electric truck?
2: Gosh. It's, it's supposed to start January 1st, although they, they're they not enforcing it right now. They've stepped back a little bit to give people some more months. But, so they passed a thing called the Advanced Clean Fleets Regulation. And gotcha. it basically says in three categories of trucks as of January, 2024, if you're gonna uh, register or license a new truck in the state of California, In these three categories, it must be a zero emissions vehicle, which means for all practical purposes, an electric vehicle.
1: Right. Uh,
2: So these are drayage trucks. Those are trucks that uh, take uh, containers from ports and either transport them or bring them to uh, railheads. Uh, There's also the the, uh, state fleets have to be zero emissions. And then if you're a big company, If you have either 50 trucks or something like $50 million in business, uh, all your new trucks have to be uh, electric, zero emissions. And that's just crazy stuff. Um, By the way, we have something like um, uh, 19 states that are now suing uh, the EPA in California for, uh, particularly the EPA for allowing California to put this regulation into place. now, if you look at trucks, there's some really, really big issues. So the yeah. the, the first problem is poor range, uh, and I'm getting this data from from uh, Andrew Boyle of the American Trucking Association, who also testified uh, this year before the House of Representatives.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So the the if you uh, if you fill up a, a diesel truck, it takes about 15 minutes to fill a typical tank, and it can go 1,200 miles. Mm-hmm. But if you charge an electric truck, uh, fully charged, they can only go 150 to 330 miles, so about one one-eighth of the distance. And it takes you literally <laughs> hours to charge these trucks. Yeah. The, the electric trucks weigh 10,000 pounds more because of the battery weight. And right. so if you have a 40 or 50,000 pound uh, truck and load, you, got, you lose about 10 or 20%. Electric truck cost is very, very high uh two and a half to three times the cost of a diesel truck and then there's very few chargers around um they wanted to put up a charging system near Joliet Illinois at at the intersection of a couple interstates and they went to the city and the city goes (laughs) you really can't do this your charging requirements are too big our grid's not going to be able to handle it right they just they just put up a system in California and they found that if they had it all filled with trucks that were charging, it would take as much electricity as a 200,000 person city like San Bernardino <laughs> to charge these trucks. So it, was, <laughs> oh, it was, so it just doesn't make any sense. Nevertheless, California is pushing it. Yeah, and there's a lot of articles coming out talking
1: about you know people who buy Teslas or whatever to use for DoorDash or Uber and they're finding that constantly charging and discharging those batteries reduces the life dramatically. I mean, the one there was one guy who I think got maybe 40 or 50,000 miles out of his car before it needed a new battery.
2: Well, that's not too good.
1: Yeah, and if you <laughs> and I I've read the same uh numbers that you were just talking about. I even saw an interview, I think, on a CNBC documentary where they were talking to a trucker who was saying, why would I buy a Tesla semi? If they claim it'll do 500 miles, it'll probably do more like 300 with a load. It takes eight hours to charge, or I can just buy a cheaper truck that has a sleeper <laughs> cabin in the back. It takes 15 to 20 minutes to fuel up, and I can go 12 to 1,400 miles. And I don't have to worry about a battery being replaced. I can get a million miles out of this engine
2: yeah Yeah, unless unless california is forcing you to do it then you got a problem but
0: yeah
2: (laughs) but i don't think that's going to stand but yeah there's a there's a bunch of issues with evs so evs have uh have uh, been penetrating world markets uh in 2022 they were about six percent of the u.s new light vehicles sold i think last year they were about eight percent i gotta update my numbers on that um we have about uh two or 3% of all the vehicles in the world, about uh, 35, 40 million EVs out of 1.5 billion light vehicles globally, but we're starting to run into some problems. And I like to say the the EV market has hit a speed bump in this last year. (laughs) Uh, We have inventories up at uh, at GM and Ford over 300%. And by the way, the price of used electric vehicles dropped 30% last year when when people buy a new one or they turn one in and, and go get a, a uh, go back to their gasoline car, nobody wants to buy the used ones. Uh,
0: right. Ford
2: Ford is losing somewhere between 40,000 and 60,000 on each electric vehicle sold. And so Ford and GM have have stepped back. Cold weather is a problem. <laughs> I was, yeah. I, was at, I was at a conference and met a guy who uh, whose wife had a Tesla. They lived in Cleveland. And uh, two winters ago, it got down to 10 degrees Fahrenheit, and they didn't have a heated garage. And literally, they could not charge their vehicle. It would not charge at 10 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, now, I've got a heated garage, but I wouldn't want to heat it all winter if I, if I got an, an EV. That would be very, very expensive. Yeah. Uh, insurance is another big uh, issue. Mm. Uh, in, the, in the United Kingdom, uh, a lot of companies have stopped insuring EVs because when they get into a it, they get into a fender bender uh it's hard to tell if the battery's been damaged and if the battery's damaged in any way it needs to be replaced and that can cost like $20,000 so so uh EV insurance right now in England is costing about 5,000 pounds for a year very expensive Gosh. in the in the US as well it's about 70% more to insure an EV than a gasoline vehicle um and for these reasons uh hertz for example hertz was going to go in big with evs but they're now getting rid of them they're selling them and they're going back to uh to uh traditional cars so you know hey if you if you uh want a cool second car they're neat if you uh if you can charge in your garage and drive a short distance to work they're good but uh cold weather insurance long distance drives just don't seem to work out
0: absolutely and it's we're just constantly getting priced out of of these markets uh, for for cars in general are insane right now. But I uh went and I wanted to look at the Chevy. I think they call it a a Spark.
2: Okay.
0: And it is the same exact car as their absolute bottom of the line economy you're, car.
1: You're confusing the Bolt and the Spark. The Spark is the Internal combustion version. The bolt okay. is the electric one. Okay. Yeah, they
2: right, had a right. bo- <laughs> they had a bolt and a volt.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah the okay. Bolt was a no.
1: hy- hybrid sort of thing. The bolt is the fully electric one. I've driven a bolt. They're super cheap economy cars, but they're electric. So, and then the yeah, spark's well, like their bottom of the
0: line. Well, the spark was the bottom of the line. That's probably like fifteen, sixteen thousand. The same car electric was 40,000. I'm like, if I'm spending $40,000 on a car, I'm not getting a roller skate bottom of the line car just because it's got an electric motor. It's ridiculous. And now you also, what's the number one cause of fire in uh New York City these days <laughs> yeah you
2: you know that's one of my favorite questions I like to mm-hmm. ask that uh, it's it's not cooking and it's not smoking it's now <laughs> it's now e bike lithium batteries ah.
0: and, uh, this is
2: data from the uh from the uh uh New York fire department they've had like uh they're getting like last year they had about two hundred fires from e bikes up from about forty fires uh, three or four years ago and uh they've had about 12 people injured from from these things these things tend to uh tend to just explode or if you got to, you know and and you know they're down in the first floor of your apartment or something and you can't get out of the building and they have these fires all over the place australia has a big problem with it other us cities uh, the problem is that that uh, people have been purchasing inexpensive e-bikes and they're not and the uh you know, the specs aren't real good and they're not tested real well. And so they become a big hazard. Um, so that is, I've actually told my uh, my wife and I have a, uh, we live in two places, one in Chicago and one in Virginia Beach to get close to the kids and grandkids. Mm-hmm. And we rent the one in Virginia Beach uh, for a big part of the year. And I, I've told my property manager, don't let anybody bring any e-bikes into our property <laughs> because, uh, you know, you don't want the place to go up
0: what does like a, a Chevy what is it an eldorado i think is there uh electric version of the silverado or or whatever what's something like what do you guys think something like that cost because trucks are you know you get a four wheel drive truck and you're spending seventy five grand even if it's gas powered
2: yeah I really don't know about that i do know i i've got a couple versions here e e uh vehicle prices have come down in part because the demand has fallen off, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, the one I use for a benchmark, a 2023 Toyota Corolla, about uh, 21,000, 22,000 MSRP. Uh, 2023 Chevy Bolt, roughly, roughly comparable for the very low end model, about a 22 percent premium, w- which isn't real bad. Uh, but then, you know, you need to add on the insurance and a lot of the other problems. You gotta, you gotta get a, a home charger probably. Uh, a plug isn't good enough um yeah so the yeah. prices have come down a little but uh we still have kind of a we got a demand fall off and uh, yeah my
1: my brother works at a dealership in their service department and yeah. he's talked about how electric cars just kind of pile up when people trade them in people don't want them they're afraid that they're basically buying a time bomb you know, eventually, because <laughs> I've, I've read this thing. I don't know if it's true, but it's saying on average, like an internal combustion car has like 2,000 moving parts. And an electric vehicle has like 20. But 20 parts. Almost, yeah, but almost like in their drivetrain. But they were saying Loan the us. odds of, well, they were just saying that any of those parts that get damaged can basically total it. You know, it's not it's not a thing where you can replace some smaller pieces that got hurt. It's oh, the whole battery has to go. You know, all however many thousands of cells, or these electric motors have to go, or the computer, which is all expensive, and the way they build it kind of into the structure of the car makes it really rough. I've seen a few headlines; they're probably clickbait a little bit, or at least sensationalized, but talking about that a Hyundai Ionic Five. Battery replacement was quoted for somebody at forty thousand dollars,
2: but I've seen a uh, lot of
1: Teslas that are twenty thousand at least.
2: Can be a big number, and again, that's uh, uh, you know, it doesn't take a big collision. I don't think uh, if you damage a battery in any way, you you have problems. And yeah. as you as you know, those uh, Chevy re, uh, had to recall like two hundred thousand of those. I don't know. I remember it's the, the Bolt or the Volt, but whatever was the plug-in EV because they were having fires out there. Uh, There's just a lot of cases. Uh, Near Chicago, there was a guy driving a a Tesla and it started to shake. I don't remember which model it was. He pulled over on the side of the road. This was in uh, Elk Grove. Got out of the car and it erupted in flames. And he he didn't have time to get the child seats out of the back. And he was really pleased his kids kids were at home. Um, There was another incident in in Florida where a woman um, had her regular uh, gasoline car into the dealer and got an EV as a loaner and then it it burst into flame in her garage it wasn't even being charged or anything and damaged her house with smoke damage in a big way uh so so there's a bunch of problems with these there's just so much energy in these lithium batteries and as you know when uh they don't let you take these and put these in the baggage compartment on a plane because because there's a risk uh, yeah. they'll eventually they'll eventually right. solve these things but uh, it's just uh, they do need to do something about the maintenance when you get in a little bit of a collision. And again, that's why Hertz is, is deciding to go back and get rid of the EVs that they uh, they uh, started uh, renting to everyone.
0: I don't blame them. <laughs> so one of the reasons that they're doing this is to limit our freedom, right? How, how, is, how are they going to limit our freedom by making everything have to be electric? Find out more after a quick break. <music> Welcome back, Crib Keepers. Yeah,
2: well, climatism requires co- coercion, if you will, <laughs> mm-hmm. because people don't want to necessarily get rid of their... Their gas stove, and they don't want to get rid of their uh, their gasoline pickup truck, typically. Hmm. And so we do have a lot of a lot of uh, groups that are trying to force everybody to accept these changes. Uh, and the two big areas are, are cars and our and, and our uh, appliances. So we have right now actually a, a war going on. Uh, regarding appliances, we have about six or seven states that have now banned, or at least their counties and cities have been trying to ban um, gas appliances from new construction. Uh, California, Oregon, Washington, I think Maryland, Massachusetts, New York, and some others. But at the same time, there's there's 19 states that have passed laws saying, well, Miss, uh, ahead of uh, your city and your and your county, you can't ban uh, energy that people can put into houses. And we even had a uh, a recent uh, a law, the, the Berkeley, California was the first city to put a ban into place on gas appliances and new construction. And they were sued by the Restaurant Owners Association in California. They, they wanted to cook with gas stoves and they ended up winning in court The ninth, excuse me, the Ninth Circuit Court and recently, the, the request to uh, to overturn that was also defeated. And so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of reason to use gas. It's very convenient. It's lower mm-hmm. cost typically. But, you know, we have all these folks running around saying that uh, the gas stoves are bad, that they're health problems, a lot of other things. And then governments uh, get in there and they they're trying to force everybody to make a switch, and and get away from using their their. Uh, uh, gas or or uh, gasoline fuels
0: and tell us how they came to this conclusion about these uh gas stoves being so terrible for you how they're so terrible for your health
2: yeah that's uh, that was uh uh there were a couple studies that broke uh, last january uh that got national uh, national focus uh but if you and they basically said that gas stoves um emit uh nitrogen oxide, which they do at high temperatures. They take out they take the nitrogen in the air and they and it breaks down and, and it combines with oxygen and then it goes back and, and is formed into nitrogen dioxide, which is a pollutant. The thing is that these levels are very, very low. Uh, mm-hmm. The way the way they had to show that was they, they literally turned the the uh burners on the oven on in a stove in a kitchen and they sealed the whole kitchen with plastic so that nothing could get out. And then the, the levels of the nitrogen dioxide rose. Uh, that's that's the only way they could get them above the EPA levels, which are something like 50 parts per billion uh, in a home for, for nitrogen dioxide. And then the other thing is, if you look at the people that wrote these these studies, they weren't from the medical profession. Right, they were from the climate, uh, the the counter climate groups at universities. <laughs> so people, people people need carbon monoxide detectors in their homes, but mm-hmm. they sh- they should be uh, fairly sure that their their gas furnaces and their gas stoves and their other gas appliances are generally not causing a health problem.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty safe to say. We've been using them for quite a while now, and I don't know of a whole lot of people that have died except from like a carbon monoxide leak. So um, certainly no one I know with a gas stove has died from using their gas stove in the kitchen. So, but uh, now the poster child in in your book, um, The Mad, 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 Mad... World of Climatism. Hey, okay, so you've got that right above your left shoulder. That's one of the best book covers I've ever seen. And we'll obviously we'll put it up. But it's uh, some polar bears riding around in a car. And polar bears have become the poster child for this climatism. uh, And people are just straight up lying about it to everybody. Can you tell us about the polar bears?
2: Yeah, that that, that was a fun cover, by the way. That's a Mazda of some sort. And I brought it to a guy and he was able to actually put the polar bears behind the windshield. I thought that was really mm-hmm. good. How did you do that?
0: That's <laughs> an amazing. image.
2: So, so never believe an image. People can do crazy things, but right. yeah, polar bears have been the poster child for many, many years of the climate movement. And there were all kinds of, uh, uh, you could save polar bears. If you, if you went to the World Wildlife Association, you could contribute money, uh, do all sorts of things uh but, but, what they don't tell you is that polar bear populations have been rising uh back in the the- 19, about nineteen seventy we only had about eight thousand polar bears on the surface of the earth. Now we have about twenty five or thirty thousand and the big reason is that the the northern nations got together and signed treaties to limit hunting of polar bears mm-hmm. uh, that was Norway and Russia and Canada. Mm-hmm and so polar bear populations are going up even though we've had a gentle warming as i mentioned over those years uh and and so uh it's become a little bit less of an issue now uh i think the climate community realizes that that polar bears aren't aren't uh, aren't really grabbing the public here <laughs>
0: yeah the jig <laughs> uh, is up <laughs>
2: and and a bigger one that that has shown up recently is forest fires that's the that's the uh-huh. latest thing forest fires has become a big a big issue supposedly
0: yeah, so how does uh, climate change cause forest fires? Well, that's really, a,
2: that's really a, a crazy idea. Again, we're talking about a very small change. We're talking about one degrees in 140 years. Now, oh. in, in the case of California, Governor Newsom, actually, I have a video of him that I show sometimes, he's standing in front of a forest fire, and he says, if you don't believe in climate, come to California, <laughs> the debate is over. But, right. But, but and, and California has had, in terms of uh, structures burned, uh, in the last 10 years, they've had uh, had half of the worst forest fires in history, but you have to kind of go and, and look, okay, so what's the issue? And um, one of the problems is there've been a number of studies that point out uh, the, the National Forest Service, for example, did a study in 2018, they said there were 140,000, 140 million dead trees in California. That could be a problem. And there were other folks that said, you know, for, for 50 or 100 years, California has been limiting any kind of fires. And if you live in California, as I understand, you can't even build a road through your own forest. Uh, it's very tough to do that, uh, cut hmm. down any trees. And so you end up with these forests and other groups have said that you know fire is a natural way that forests remain healthy, mm-hmm. and if you stop all the forest, stop all the fires, then you end up with all these these dead trees, all this debris, and so when a fire breaks out, nobody can put it out; it just burns, and it's a tremendous issue. And so um, the real issue here is forest management. That's what California needs to do. By the way, uh. I like to point uh, listeners to a study NASA did two years ago, NASA actually looks down with satellites and they track all of the burned area in the world. They track all of the fires that are going on with satellites. And every August, we have about 10,000 fires burning across the world. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing from their data is that the amount of burned area has been declining globally. It's down about 20 percent in the last 15 years. So then you got to kind of scratch your head and say, well, if uh, if fires are rising in California uh, because of climate change, how come they're falling in all the rest of the world?
0: (laughs) Right. What's California doing wrong? Because obviously you're doing something wrong if you're the only place that's having all this, you know, all these extra, extra large, extra hot, extra deadly fires that are going everywhere. And they're coming for you if you don't get your electric vehicle.
2: So if if you think if you think you stop the fires by uh, everybody driving an electric vehicle, you really need to go back and and rethink that. That's not going to happen. Forest management is the key.
0: Right, I, I, and you know we've seen forest fires since the dawn of time. It's yep. nothing new. And if you want to uh, decrease forest fires, maybe you find the people that are flicking their cigarette butt in the in the woods and track them down and. You know, make them do some jail time or something. But yeah, I mean, electric vehicles stopping forest fires is hilarious if it wasn't so sad. If it wasn't so sad, uh, can you tell us about transitional energy shocks? What what does that mean? I, I'm not familiar with that term. Are you, Ryan? No, I, no,
2: no. Actually, it's actually it's transnational. It's just a. Oh gosh, I, I'm sorry. It's okay. It's a term that I that I uh, coined. And it's one of the four things that that Green Breakdown talks about. Uh, As we build more and more green energy, we're gonna have four big issues. One is higher energy prices, particularly Mm. electricity prices that go up. We've talked about that with wind and solar. The second is electricity blackouts. Uh, The third is less freedom uh, because they're gonna force you to get rid of your appliances or your gasoline car if they can. Mm. And the fourth is transnational energy shocks. And we've seen the first of those, in my opinion, in Europe over the last three years. Okay. So, so what Europe has has done over the last two decades is uh, they had tremendous emphasis, uh, emphasis on wind and solar, and they built wind and solar everywhere, and they stopped you they, uh, they closed about a hundred nuclear plants in Europe. Uh, about 30 in Germany and about 30 in the United Kingdom. And they become very dependent on imported natural gas. Uh, And this was all prior to the the Ukraine invasion of uh, 2022. Mm -hmm. And then what happened in 2021 is there was a wind shortfall in Europe. Uh, For most of the year, the wind electricity output was down 20 or 30%. And so what did Europe do? They burned more and more natural gas to make up the difference. And by the end of the year, uh, they were short of natural gas. And the price of both electricity and natural gas was up by about five or six times what it was in the first part of 2021. And then they had and this was three months before the Ukraine invasion. Then they had the Ukraine invasion and Russia cut off all of its gas going to Europe. And so their prices went through the roof. They just went crazy. And the only reason Europe last winter uh, kept the lights on is the United States and Qatar shipped vast amounts of liquefied natural gas to Europe uh, so that they could keep keep uh, everything going. And um, so uh, now prices still remain very high. They're about three times as high for electricity in about two and a half times as high for gas as they were two years ago. Europeans are paying four times the price we are for natural gas right now. And it's really impacted Europe. Their standard of living has been heavily impacted. Uh, in Hungary, they, they uh, uh, put wood-burning furnaces back into the schools because they were afraid they wouldn't have natural gas to use them. Uh, the british were told to to stop showering so much to save energy <laughs> or or to or to shower with a friend that was another bit of a yeah.
0: well i could get behind that one but uh, skipping on the a friend. shower well yeah skipping a shower <laughs> no thanks um, but they have they have
2: they have energy bills that are 2 or 3000 pounds a winter now they're very very high and there are people in england that are literally putting newspaper up on the inside of their windows to increase their insula their insulation so uh, this is a this is a loss of standard of living uh that's going on in europe right now and it's because they've decided to go wind and solar uh they shut down a lot of their coal plants by the way they restarted a lot of them uh, when they got into this crisis and they decided that they they decided we're not going to do any hydraulic fracturing there's there's like 40 Shale fields in Europe that they could fracture and get oil and gas out of, but they said we're not going to do that. We're going to import all of it, and so they they have a they have a a, a very big, very big energy problems right now. But that's the first of what I call transnational energy shocks. I, I think we're going to see one in Australia. We may see one in New England um, in the next few years if these trends continue.
0: Now. What I've seen, and this is not necessarily with electricity or anything, but what I've seen, it seems like whenever the prices go up on something, they say, oh, well, you know, it's because of this or it's because of that. But then they never go back down, right? Like trucks were 50,000 and then they said, well, gosh, you know, there's a shortage on these chips. We can sell them for 75,000. Well, the chips are back, but the trucks are still 75,000. So are these energy price? will they come down if they go, you know, sky high like that? Or will the companies just be like, eh, well, we can charge them $3,000 a winter for this. Why, why would we charge them less?
2: Yeah, some, I don't know about the auto industry too much. That's, that's a, a tough one for me. There, we have seen some energy prices come down in the past. Uh, uh, we had a situation where, where oil was about $40 a barrel. That was about four or five years ago. The world actually uh over explored and, and over drilled up about 2015 and so the prices got got down quite low uh mm-hmm. and then we we had the uh and then people stopped investing and so the level of investment and exploration has been down the last five years and the prices have climbed again to 70 or 80 dollars a barrel. Uh natural gas tends to fluctuate as well. Uh, we had we've had very low prices for natural gas in the past. It's rising again right now. New England by the way pays three times the price of the rest of the nation for natural gas. And part of that is because the state of New York has stopped building pipelines to the the six states that were east of New York right, <laughs> for the last right. two decades. And so they don't have enough gas if they get a very cold winter. They've been actually imported liquefied natural gas at world prices, which is very expensive. And and prior to the U- Ukraine invasion, they were actually importing liquefied natural gas from Russia. <laughs> but uh so the prices can go up and down a little bit, but uh, uh, you know that's that's a bigger picture than, than just the climate issue
0: or the energy issue. Sure, sure. That's fair. Let's see. What else do we have here? Uh, I don't know how much time you planned on spending. Are, are you cool with going longer? Yeah, we could go for a little while. That'd be fine. Okay. But, um, I, I will I like, add
1: in, though, about prices, just my perspective. I, see yeah. if I used to own a bar. And I knew a bunch of other business owners in the area, including people who own bars and restaurants and whenever I remember talking to a guy who owned a restaurant and he was talking about this specific kind of beer and I told him I didn't want to carry it because the price per half barrel was so high the you know the price per pint would have to be so high and He was like, "Yeah, but I started carrying it. And people pay it. People pay ten dollars fifteen dollars a pint if it's something weird and then he was talking about creeping some of his other prices up. And then once the prices to us from the suppliers started to go down, he was like, I'm not going to lower my prices. Are you going to lower your prices? Like people will pay this. Why not? It just means our profits get a little bit better. And I don't know. It's just kind of, it's collusion and it feels yeah. kind of slimy. So I didn't do anything like that. I specifically set up a system that would determine my prices based on Whatever I was paying when my inventory came in, but I I do feel like other industries are doing that. Like I had pre-ordered a what was it a Ford Lightning, their electric pickup, and mine was supposed to be about fifty six to sixty thousand. And when it came time to actually start making the payments and pick it up and really do the financing, they quoted me at about eighty. And as far oh, well. as I'm aware, that's still about the price of what they are. So I just told them, forget it. I'll take a refund on my deposit and I'll buy a regular gasoline powered one for half the price and then still have money left over to buy another one.
2: So you <laughs> didn't get a lightning, that. huh? You didn't get a no. lightning. I, uh, you know what's really interesting about these electric EVs, these pickups? They are very, very heavy. Yeah. Uh, a Ford F 150 Super Crew 2023, about 4,600 pounds. But the Lightning is sixty five hundred pounds, uh, the Rivian R one T EV seventy one hundred pounds, and the Chevy Silverado eighty five hundred pounds. And um, if if Quint from Jaws were here, he'd say four tons of them. You got a four ton <laughs> a four ton pickup truck. <laughs> I mean that is really big. And so eventually, if if things work out, these these electric vehicles are going to have to pay more road taxes because they're typically yeah. about 50 percent heavier. Than a gasoline version Well they also go through tires faster
1: Which would yes. be expensive depending on the type Brakes. of Brakes and...
0: Brake pads Potentially
2: yeah Tires anyway I know that So yeah the tires and the batteries are the big issue
0: I've got a buddy that uh, pre-ordered the Cybertruck And there's this great video of this huge Cybertruck That just looks like a beast Getting pulled out of a little mud puddle by an F-150 Oh,
2: I no. just <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see. It's hard to see what how uh, how much market success that will have. We'll have to see.
1: Yeah, the EV thing is probably the the topic I'm most interested in that we've been talking about because I feel like, I mean, I feel like if nothing else, moving away from fossil fuels is a good idea because of our health generally. I mean it's probably better to not be breathing that stuff if you're walking around downtown Chicago or New York or whatever. But also well, not... I
2: have, I have good news on that as well. That okay. if, if you look at EPA data, the volatile organic compounds that come out of a of a vehicle is down 98% since 1980. Now I wouldn't advise closing the door and running your your uh, gasoline car. <laughs> Yeah. But almost everything that comes out now is water vapor and carbon dioxide. There's very little mm-hmm. other stuff coming out of, uh, out of your vehicle. So we're a lot cleaner than we used to be. That is the good news.
1: That, yeah, that's actually a good point. I was behind like a sixties Dodge Dart that somebody yeah. here in town has well, her a little bit. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> I, I realized, you know, at first I was like, what does that smell? And then I just realized, you know, I, I don't, feel like i smell car exhaust anymore just like when you go to a gas station you don't smell gas they've they've done a really good job at filtering a lot of yeah. those pollutants out so one of the
2: things one of the things we could talk about a little bit is the is chargers now uh, people don't realize how poor the business case for chargers is uh for example if you compare a gasoline pump uh to a, a an ev charger a gasoline pump costs about $20,000 and you can serve a customer in six minutes a 50 kilowatt uh dc charger which is relatively high speed costs a hundred thousand hmm. dollars and it, it 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 takes 30 minutes to charge a customer so the pump serves five times the customers at one-fifth of the capital cost i don't think any of these charging companies are going to make money because because the most people want to just charge at home and they just and, and so they're not going to have big demand out there for these chargers and the fast chargers are very very expensive i think what's going to happen as evs take off is eventually utilities are going to own these things and they're going to charge ratepayers and they're going to get subsidies from state and federal governments there's a very a very poor capital case for for uh you know an entrepreneur going in there and and getting the charger by the way You look at the stock. You look at the stocks of these uh, charging companies, and they have not been doing good over the last three years.
1: Yeah, well, it sounds like a lot of them can't afford to maintain their current infrastructure anyway.
2: Yeah, you got to maintain them. Another thing is, so originally these things were, well, we could put them anywhere, right? They don't have to be maintained. But so you know, in the winter, at after four at night or five at night, it's out in a parking lot somewhere. Is your wife going to want to go there and? sit for 30 minutes and charge your car no yeah. way i mean talk nope. talk about a target for a carjacking uh so there's just there's just a lot of issues and another thing is you know if i live in an apartment um am i gonna run a, and i don't have a garage i'm gonna run an extension card cord over the sidewalk to charge my ev <laughs> that, that's not such a good idea either. yeah
1: yeah i mean one of the first things i thought about was kids kids are gonna come oh, by just and pull plug the plugs out yeah just for just for grins. <laughs> Just to do it. Like driving around downtown St. Louis, I was on South Grand and I saw people, I don't know, a couple years ago with those little bird scooters, like the small ones that don't have a ton of range, but you can rent them with that app.
0: And no. they would just
1: push them over, or like kind of hide them or whatever. Oh, It's like just some impulse in kids to screw things up a little bit. So I could totally imagine a lot of people <laughs> not being able to get to work because some kid just came by and oh, I'll just pull that plug out.
2: Again, charging at home is great, but charging on the road is 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 uh, got a lot of problems.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've considered an electric vehicle myself, but I thought about road trips in particular. Yeah. And I drive an Audi A5, and I can get about four hundred and fifty four hundred and forty miles on a tank of what about fourteen gallons at highway speeds, and it takes me five minutes. It takes me longer to use the restroom and get a cup of coffee than it does to fill up the car
0: yeah i I was gonna say like i mean i've got a cruise okay a 2018 cruise economy car surprisingly adequate 39 miles a gallon 170 horsepower that's not bad i'll take that now i also have an old truck but I, i mean it's not like Every gas-powered vehicle out there is like a Dodge Hellcat that you know is 800 horsepower, or it's not every truck is these turbo diesel trucks that have the big uh, exhaust stacks that kick out all the black smoke. It's like there's gas cars that and trucks that are extremely efficient. So it's the the leap isn't that great from electric to an economy truck or an economy car either. So,
2: well hybrids are a pretty good deal too I think as well. Yeah. Uh
0: unfortunately though a lot of these governments anything that's got an
2: internal combustion engine in is is a no-no. You know, they don't even want a, mm-hmm. they don't want hybrids and and you don't get the same subsidies. By the way, did you know uh you can get up to $7,000 subsidy tax credit from your government to uh purchase an EV? And then if you buy a used EV, and then if you sell it and it's bought again, there's another credit up to 4000 And if it's bought and sold again, <sighs> another credit up to 4000 I mean, there's an infinite amount of money that people want to shell out, shell out into these EVs. I well, they want know to give was... our money
0: away. They don't yeah. want to give their money. They want to give our money. To these companies, it's not yours anymore. Once it goes to government, right?
2: <laughs>
1: that's true. <laughs> yeah, I didn't Very know that true. there was an incentive for
2: secondary sales. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah that's,
2: that's interesting. I, I'm not sure of all the details, but I know you can get up to four thousand dollars for a used EV.
0: <laughs> well, that yeah, they're like guys. We got to do something. Nobody's buying these things. What can we do? I give them another subsidy? Why not? Uh, so there are people that will not be able to get over that driving an ev isn't going to save the planet what are some things that are logical that we can do to reduce our carbon footprint without buying into this nonsense about you know your truck is going to you know ruin the lives of your grandchildren
2: well i think about i like to think of it more of as a pollution issue um, okay. not, a car- not a carbon dioxide, because again, carbon dioxide is a harmless, odorless, invisible gas, makes plants grow. It's really not a problem. There are some okay. major issues that, that we need to, we need to fix. Uh, one of those is is discharge of wastewater into rivers, oceans, and streams. Not much in the United States or Europe, but about 80% of the world's wastewater is is still discharged without being treated. If you remember, about seven years ago, the, down in the Olympics near Brazil, six seven years ago, uh, the swimmers didn't want to swim in the water. Brazil's just <laughs> building Brazil's building the first water treatment plants. Uh, that's a problem to be solved. Plastics in the ocean is another one. Yes, it is, it's often overstated, but there's about a hundred million tons of plastic in the oceans, they estimate, and we're, the world is adding about ten million tons a year. Uh, most of that, again, is coming from Asia and developing nations. Like only one or two percent for you, uh, from the US or Europe. Uh, uh, cha- getting rid of plastic straws in in San Francisco isn't going to have much of an effect, <laughs> but but we need biodegradable plastics uh, as well. So there are yeah. a number of things that need to be done, uh, but and and again, we need to keep reducing things like nitrogen dioxide, carbon monoxide. Sulfur dioxide out of our atmosphere, but again, that's those are down uh, according to EPA data. Again, those are down about combined 70 or 80 percent since 1970, even longer since 1950. Uh, my grandfather had a had a coal furnace in his basement, and um, mm-hmm. in the 50s, and and when it uh, when it snowed in the winter, after about five days, you'd see a black film on top of the snow in Chicago. Uh, And people didn't know what spring cleaning was for. Literally, people would wash the inside of their walls every spring to take the coal dust off. So our air is very much cleaner than it was in in those days. Uh, We've done a great job, and even China now is, is reducing particulate pollution in the atmosphere. Since about 2014, it's been going down in China. And as nations develop and they get wealthier, they start cleaning up their air and water. But that's right. what we ought to focus on. Carbon dioxide is not one of those things. Uh, that That's a complete uh, complete misnomer and a complete waste of time. What do you think about
1: nuclear power? I mean, just in, in terms of do you think it's beneficial over coal and natural gas to offset the potential risks and the trouble with uh, getting rid of waste? And then uh, what do you think that the, uh, you know, why well, are there so many
2: it's, obstacles to it? It's a mix. Um, uh, again, in my latest book, uh, Green Breakdown, I have some quotes in there. There were folks in the 1950s that thought, uh, they said things like uh, electric, electricity is gonna be too cheap to meter <laughs> within hmm. 20 or 30 years. And they thought everything was going to go nuclear. Uh, but then we had, uh, we had uh, Three Mile Island, uh, we had Chernobyl in Russia, we had Fukushima uh, in Japan. Uh, in the 1990s, about uh, there were about um, 450 nuclear plants around the world. Now there's about 437. And nuclear is producing about 17% of global electricity in the 1990s. It's down to about 10% now. Electricity has been growing, but nuclear has been a little bit slow. Uh, the biggest issue with nuclear, I think, is the cost right now, uh, and a lot of that is because of the the regulations that have been put on nuclear and and all the the systems that have to be double, double uh, backed up, and all those sorts of things, uh, we really need some technological breakthroughs with nuclear to lower the cost down again. It's much more expensive than natural gas. Examples are the the recent uh, fairly big nuclear plant that went into that went into operation in Georgia. It cost like 30 billion dollars, uh, and it was it's up about a factor of three from what what they thought it would be. England, a similar system. Uh, the new small modular reactors may be able to low that, lower that cost point or the uh, molten salt reactors, but we need systems that will automatically shut down that won't overheat and have a risk of of, uh, of uh, damaging the, the reactor core. Uh, we need to do something with the waste. Most of that right now is stored on nuclear plant sites and, and is stored for many, many years in, in lead containers but we need to get the price of nuclear down i'm i'm hoping we'll get some breakthroughs there
0: okay well ryan you had an interesting uh theory on how climate activists kind of shut down the nuclear industry
1: well it's not a theory but it's well at least that's not how i'm thinking of it but i have read a lot about that how a lot of nuclear like planned nuclear sites have been kind of shut down by climate activists who I think misunderstand the dangers associated with it because of three mile Island and Chernobyl because Fukushima now, I mean, very few people to my knowledge have died as a result of nuclear power. Uh, Whereas I think coal, coal powered plants are linked to maybe like 50,000 deaths and serious illnesses every year, just because of the particulates that they put out. I mean, people living within a certain distance of it, or just breathing that stuff in and they have respiratory illnesses or you get hurt in the plant or on the machinery.
2: Uh, um, it's more in the plant. I'm not, I'm not real high in the particulate issues, but, uh but certainly uh nuclear has almost, almost no deaths over in, in the U S anyway, over the last 50 years. Uh, but there's, and coal mines have always been an issue with people, that kind of thing.
1: That That uh, was the other factor of it. Yeah. Just getting the coal itself contributed a lot of danger to people's lives, you know, cave-ins or injuries, whatever else.
2: You have to be careful of the particulates. That's another issue I discuss in several of my books. Um, It really is overstated in many ways. Um, uh, The EPA says that people are dying prematurely from particulates, but the amount of particulates that the average person in the United States breathes in, for example, uh, uh, the, the EPA um limit is is 13 micrograms per cubic meter of air and most places are under that now if you if you say okay what is 13 micrograms over a 70 year lifetime it turns turns out it's less than one tablespoon one teaspoon full of particles in Mm -hmm. in a 70 year period it's very very small and now and you got some crazy things going on too in california for example In uh, January, 2019, they passed two laws or two laws became effective. Uh, One was they had a law uh, restricting particulates from leaf blowers and (laughs) lawn mowers. Okay, that sounds good. But the other one was they legalized the recreational use of marijuana. (laughs) (laughs) So if (laughs) if you smoke a marijuana joint, you get like a hundred billion small particles in a single joint. That's more than breathing an entire year of California air, but no, we got to we got to go after those leaf blowers, you know that kind of thing. Another thing is a big a big a big forest fire in California releases more particulates than all of the vehicles do in a year. So we're getting to a point in most cases because of scrubbers put on plants and and uh, um, catalytic converters on cars where the levels of particulates are very, very low relative to the background level. Uh, it still is an issue around the world. Uh, if, if, you're a, if you're cooking with wood or dung or charcoal in a hut in Africa, then you're getting about two, 200 times as many particles as a person in the United States is. And then it does cause respiratory problems uh, and, and disease and, and premature death. But in the United States, the levels are very, very low. Uh, so. Again, uh, we've done a great job over over the last 20, 30, 40 years of getting rid of this pollution that hurts people.
0: Absolutely. Well, do you have anything else that you want to share before we wrap it up? I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll give you a chance to tell us about what's in each of your books and your website, but is there anything else that you want to wrap wrap up with? Not too much. Let's talk about a couple of my books.
2: Uh, yes. one, uh, one with the polar bears called The Mad, Mad, Mad World of Climatism. Uh, and by the way, the last three books I've written are a lot of fun. They're color paperbacks. I hired a cartoonist to do a cartoon in front of each chapter. I tried to be as sarcastic as possible um, about, uh, and, and all these things are headlines that you read every day about the climate. But it tells a complete story of of all the climate issues, of storms, of polar bears, of droughts and floods, and and the theory. And then my recent one, Green Breakdown, the coming renewable energy failure is a complete discussion of the the efforts to force an energy transition. And it talks about energy history. It talks about uh, energy for power plants, uh, your appliances. It talks about uh, vehicles, electric vehicles, uh, ships and planes and heavy industry. And uh, it it tells you why this is going to break down and people are gonna push for um, uh, more sensible and low cost, uh, reliable energy. And by the way, there's a lot of great sidebars in all of these. For example, in Green Breakdown, um, uh, and these are headlines from actual newspapers. There was a New York Times New York Times article that said we should all mate with short people to stop climate change. And mm-hmm. there's a there's another prof, there's a professor in Sweden who who is advocating the that we all eat human flesh to stop climate change. And then, and then he. And then he will pull his audience at the end of his presentation asking how many want to try human flesh. <laughs> is he being guy.
0: serious or is he yeah, he's trying to be serious.
2: funny? He's being wow. serious. Then there's then there's a guy in California who was a cosmetic surgeon. Yeah, I heard and this. He, was, he was uh boiling down uh, uh fat and tissue he got from his patients and uh producing biofuel for his cars and his his uh, girlfriend's car. I think he was actually prosecuted because <laughs> I don't think that's a legal thing to do, but so these books are these books are f- full of these crazy things, which make them a lot of fun to read, but they're all uh, they're all true headlines of what's actually been going on,
0: and the wow. facts are laid out nice and easy for challenged people like myself to understand. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for slumming it with us for a night. You've got an open invitation to come back to the show. You were amazing. I, I love how you bring a sense of humor to this topic because that seems extremely difficult. Okay, so. great.
2: And again, they can they can they can get Green Breakdown from my website, Steve Gorham, g o r e h a m dot com. I'll send them a signed copy. Uh, they're they're on Amazon, of course. Actually, Green Breakdown was number one on Amazon last week for the energy policy. Uh, category, and then there are ebooks available as well.
0: Well, we'd like it if they, if they would go to your website and get it because we're kind of well, I'm kind of anti Amazon with all their <laughs> their carbon footprint from those vans that are driving everywhere. So yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Uh, you have a wonderful evening. Here. Sure. Final thoughts after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Ryan, you got any final thoughts on tonight's episode?
1: Yeah, i I think something that we didn't touch on that maybe we should have is the idea that a lot of what we're being told seems to be trying to communicate the idea that we are responsible for climate change, like me and you. Mm-hmm. Like and it's because of our personal decisions. Not the fact that gasoline cars were the only thing available for the last hundred years, Mm -hmm. not because, I mean, I always thought like gas stoves were better. Mm -hmm. I thought they were more efficient. It takes a lot of energy and a lot of electricity to heat up a coil, to heat Mm -hmm. up an electric stove. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I think that there needs to be more ownership, for these issues taken by companies and governments and probably more mature solutions offered because I I could talk about the EV thing all day. I mean, they there's still like Tesla, if you buy a Tesla, depending on which one you get, there are two different battery chemistries right now that you could get. You know, there's really? the original one that uses cobalt and all this stuff, and then I wasn't prepared to talk about this, so I don't have it like mm-hmm on my mind right now but i know there's a new battery type that emits or omits a lot of these rare metals in their construction and they have benefits and drawbacks but it's also one of these things where we don't know how they're going to really last over the long term like they're fairly new like he's talking about these mining operations where the conditions are really poor and there's a lot of pollution Mm -hmm. you know this is trying to help with that but Does that mean that your battery now lasts 70,000 miles instead of 100,000? I mean, there are people out there who've had batteries on Tesla's last 300,000 miles or more. You know, if you take care of it well, who knows how long it could go. But I don't know. I've always thought that if electric vehicles are going to succeed, we need a more convenient way to fuel them. Oh, yeah. I think it should be like a propane tank. You trade in your battery, you pull up into a station, there's a little pit underneath. They drop the battery down, put a new one in it, you pay like 20 or 30 bucks, and you're off. You don't own the battery. It's, you know, that could be part of the agreement. Like the battery's owned by whatever company or set of companies, however that's going to work. Yeah, I mean, you're just, I mean, that way when the batteries are worn out, they're just taken out of circulation and recycled. Because that is a positive thing about them. I have read that about 94% of the materials in those batteries can be turned around when they're recycled.
0: How much uh, electricity or gas does it take to recycle a Tesla battery?
1: I don't know. That's a good question. A whole lot less than turning it out of the ground in the first place, though.
0: Yeah. You you, want to drive a conflict vehicle? You know, (laughs) we we talked about people, like, they don't want to buy – Blood diamonds, well, fuck yeah. I mean, you're buying blood batteries When you're, you know, allowing this I mean, dude, the Congo's insane It's insane yeah. Like they well, will just I've- chop your fucking arm off If you don't work like they want you to You know, they'll kill your mom Whatever it, It's it's insane
1: But I've seen a lot of people saying I want to switch to an EV Because I don't want to pay for fossil fuels That are supporting groups in the Middle East that are doing whatever wonderful things they're doing.
0: Yeah, but I also heard that like the United States gets like 2% of its oil from the Middle East.
1: Yeah, the US is fairly self-sufficient as far as oil goes.
0: And when they stop selling it, they're like we're like Psh, all right, we'll use our own. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's it's shady, it's underhanded, but it is what it is and yeah, I mean it, it just you can't produce energy out of nothing right yeah I, I mean you just can't so if you want to have something powered it's got to come from somewhere and i i did i, I didn't want to keep him on too long but i did want to ask him about these like uh water-powered cars and, and stuff like that and i do think that the guy come on man what kind of a fucking schmuck surgeon is so stingy that he's like, I'm going to burn down fat and use it to power my girlfriend's car. I mean, I believe the story, but it's got that's got to be like a crazy person. Right. That's not like a.
1: he was thinking about he was like stirring a cauldron <laughs> with these parts in it, thinking about how like nasty the Times article about him was going to be when they caught him. It's like, I'm going to be famous
0: it's so bad but i i do i i think that people are being completely swindled just completely swindled and yeah we all want to reduce our carbon footprint uh we don't want to leave a billion plastic bottles in our wake right, right? we don't want to uh you know You change the oil in your car, you take it to get it recycled. You don't dump it in the fucking garden or something like that. But it's got to come from somewhere, and these people are just being swindled. And the problem is, wait for it, smug. You remember that from South Park? Yes. (laughs) Yeah,
1: where the uh, the Oscars were happening. There was a... Front of smug passing through or whatever. How they phrased it?
0: It's, it? It is people. Once people get on high moral ground and they think they're better, they don't give a shit what you say. It does not matter because they're better than you. And they don't have to listen to you because they're better than you, Ryan. Mm-hmm. They drive an electric vehicle. Stop falling for it, people. All right. That's my final thoughts.
1: No, I like his uh, approach, though. Absolutely. Steve, I I really, from my research, I mean, when you watch TV, they're saying we're all going to die in a couple years if we don't get this under control.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: What I've read is more in line with what he's saying. Not that it's not real, like it's happening. And what I've read is that, you know, we would. Historic, like on a sort of geological scale. We would be in a warming trend right now, anyway. Mm-hmm. It's happening faster than it should, or faster than it has in the past, and that's probably because, you know, it's not because there's one car out there; it's because there's billions of cars out there, or millions, or however many. But it's not something that necessarily wouldn't have happened anyway. And we, it's more important probably to get a handle on the pollution. But it's what about like, the bees? Yeah. And the bees got to have bees
0: kind of yeah. important. None of but, this matters without bees, Ryan.
1: Yeah. And that, I mean, that's the bees are a great way to end my thoughts on this. Cause the, the <laughs> there's like this clockwork perfection to how the world works. Right. Everything is kind of perfectly in balance. And if you take this little piece out or that little piece changes too much, Things get out of whack and it just all, it's a house of cards almost. Jenga. And it's one of the things that I mean apart from just personal experiences that makes me believe in a lot of the paranormal or the idea that there is some kind of guiding force whatever you want to call it. Because it just seems so improbable that we would have this like kind of perfectly balanced universe. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, he brought a much more tame middle of the road, these are the big issues we need to be focused on. If we can reduce carbon cool, but we should not reduce it too much. If we can reduce pollution, great. We should do that, and we need to do it responsibly. Things are bad, but not terrible. And we're probably going to be fine. That's not it's not a very it's not a title you click on. <laughs> you don't you don't scroll past that on like your cable provider and be like oh I'll watch i'll watch whatever this documentary is
0: <laughs> yeah some of the uh let me see the slides that were on here uh where's the newspaper one there we go uh yeah oh he already mentioned these okay yeah july could be the hottest month in a years and the Guardian, the era of global boiling has arrived. We're all going to die Yeah. from a I one mean, degree increase. Yeah.
1: Like, I think it's real. I think it's, I'm starting to get concerned about how hard they're trying to push certain solutions.
0: They're not intelligent solutions. They have more problems than answers. Yeah,
1: potentially. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, is that where you want to end it?
0: All right, that's all we've got for you tonight on Cryptique. Please like, subscribe, and share. Socials are in the notes. Email us at cryptiquepodcast at gmail.com. You can find our stuff at Store.com, And you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash P-I. And remember, the earth does not negotiate with anyone. She doesn't care how powerful you are. She does what she does, at least according to Catherine Hale. Good evening, Crypt Keepers.